The content of CPR Unplugged is designed for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as mental health treatment or medical or mental health advice. Details such as names and locations may have been changed to protect individual privacy. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of CPR Unplugged. I'm your friendly neighborhood therapist, Stephen Marshall, and I'm blessed to be joined today by a very special guest, Neve Habel. Neve works as a case manager in our Tempe, Arizona outpatient clinic. Neve is passionate about social work, volunteering, and serving families in need. So, Neve, are you ready for the spotlight? I'm ready. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Yeah, it's so excited to have you here today. Um, I thought we would kick off our conversation by just asking you a couple of questions. Really, your role at CPR and um, how you and how you got to CPR is what I'm most interested in. So, as a case manager at the at the Tempe Clinic, what are some of the responsibilities that you have? Yeah, I love my role as case manager here. One of the main responsibilities that I have is connecting our clients that are on access to the resources that they could utilize, um, housing resources, food boxes, especially through the holidays, connecting clients with those holiday meals, extra food boxes, um, and really any resources that they need. I work with clients to make an individual plan for their goals and their needs, and then connect them with the resources from there. Um, So that's one of my main roles, which allows me to do what I love to do, which is talking to our clients. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like, um, you know, you have an opportunity to touch people's lives in ways that are really important. We we talk about in counseling Maslow's hierarchy of needs and making sure that people who are um, vulnerable have the opportunity to kind of, um, you know, find, find solutions to pretty uh, significant challenges. And, And you're kind of in the trenches doing that. Absolutely. Covering our basic needs is what allows us to thrive. We need access to safe housing, nutritious food, um, a safe environment, and a challenging and exciting and interesting life. Mm. You know, what makes us happy as people. Absolutely. And and feel safe, right? Yeah. Um, You know, if you don't have enough food to eat, if you don't have shelter over your over your head, then uh, it can put you in a pretty dire situation pretty quickly. So you, yeah. you haven't always worked at CPR. How did you how did you come to to be part of the family and uh, and what was your road to uh, road to us? Yeah, I'm so lucky that I made it to CPR. Um, it was definitely a journey for me, um, but I'm really glad I ended up here right now. I moved to Arizona from California, where I was born. I moved here in 2019 and started working at Family Shelter um, up in North Phoenix. Um, So I worked with families experiencing homelessness and living in shelter for about three months while they got support and maybe got rapid rehousing or some services that would lead them to exit the shelter. And so working through that, I learned a lot about local resources and realized this was absolutely the field that I wanted to be in. Mm. Yeah. Is that something that you you always knew you wanted to do is go into social work and and, <laughs> and work with families in need? Or is it something no. that kind of came to you after you, you moved here? Actually, I'm so lucky that I found it um, because I didn't realize this was where I wanted to be. I actually majored in college in English and read a lot. I think it was 
a lot of work, <laughs> but I, I majored in English. And so when I left school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I spent like maybe five years just stuck and working retail mm -hmm. and really not having that passion for my work that I do now. And I started volunteering, um, which is what helped me realize that this is where I belonged. So um, back in California, I was up in Northern California in Davis. I went to school at UC Davis and I started volunteering in Sacramento at the LGBT Community Center every Friday on my day off, I would go and I would serve people that were experiencing homelessness. I'd serve them coffee, talk with them. I'd get to use my customer service skills, but I'd also connect them to local resources. And that clicked for mm. me. That's when I knew that that was the direction I wanted to go. So when I moved here and I searched for jobs, I just put in homelessness. Wow. I, I knew that was that was where I wanted to be. And so gratefully, I got to work with families experiencing homelessness. And ever since then, I knew that this was my field. And, and you said it was, it kind of clicked for you. Yes. Um, it was, was it a sense of fulfillment that you had? Was it a, a was it, you know, because you're, 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 you're dealing with some challenging situations, you know, you're having difficult conversations, you're seeing people at really a low point and, and that level of vulnerability, while, you know, rewarding to sort of partner with and, and help treat and, and, and care for can, can be draining for some people, but it sounds like for you, it maybe didn't have that effect. It had almost like a, a energizing effect. I do feel very energized working with people who really need support. It's mm -hmm. energizing to me to have the person in front of me say, these are my needs, these are my goals. Um, maybe these are some really hard experiences that I've just been through. Mm -hmm. And I do feel very present in those moments. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like I can give the person in front of me, whether it be a retail customer service client, or it be a person experiencing homelessness that I'm volunteering with, or a coworker or a client of mine as a case manager to be present in front of that person and listen, listen and give them all my energy. It is, it is energizing for me. That's not to say that I didn't have a period of building resiliency. Mm. When I first started, it was very draining and mm. doing this for about four years now, I have built my coping skills and my boundaries and built resiliency. So for, for people who are listening and thinking that they couldn't do this work, you can build resiliency. It's all about building your boundaries and your skills, what works for you. People who volunteer in all different areas learn what works for them. And it, it's possible, but certainly when you start, it is draining. Absolutely. What do, you, what do you think has changed from kind of those early moments when you were serving the community up at uh, UC Davis and I, I imagine, you know, maybe there was a little bit of a learning curve, but how do I interact or what are yeah. kind of my responsibilities here? And those early moments where maybe you were taking some of that home with you to now you're, you're kind of seasoned vet and you've been serving communities from California through to Arizona. And, you know, what has changed and, and maybe what advice would you give to someone who is, um, who is thinking about doing 
following these footsteps, doing some work in case management or yeah. doing some work as a volunteer? Yeah, I, I can't recommend volunteering enough. Um, everyone I talk to, you know, my social circle and my clients, volunteering is such a great way to fulfill ourselves and to fulfill our social needs too, you know, mm -hmm. to get that energy from it. For me, I, I did learn from embarrassment. There were moments when I first started where I did embarrass myself and I let that happen. I, I embarrass myself every day, <laughs> mostly in front of my wife, but sometimes in front of my boss and, you know, kids. There, I, the main thing is that if you are too afraid of embarrassing yourself so that you don't try something new, mm -hmm. then you've missed the opportunity. So I let myself learn from embarrassment. Sometimes I said things that the person in front of me was like, you're way off. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you're talking about. And mm -hmm. so then when those moments happen, they're awkward, they're uncomfortable. But then I would say, well, I'm, I apologize. Please share with me. Mm -hmm. Please, please tell me, please give me a moment. And I was able to learn. And so if you ever find yourself embarrassed and uncomfortable to turn it into a learning experience it is the quickest way to learn because yeah. that feeling uh you will you won't forget it yeah um, i imagine i imagine a lot of people who are interested in um, either doing volunteer work or getting into the community that that is something that could potentially hold them back you know the fear of the unknown and what if i do something wrong what if i say something wrong but you're saying you you got to take that and, and and run with it take it in stride it doesn't matter if uh you know, if your if your words fall flat, it's if your heart's in the right place. Yeah, yeah, and just being open to new experiences and being open to listening. Mm -hmm. Being open to listening is important. Um, so I built a lot of experience from, you know, learning by trial and error, mm -hmm. and then I built a lot of resiliency by remembering that it doesn't help me or the client if I don't have good work-life balance. Mm. It actually isn't helpful mm. to the client if I'm not at my best when I come into work. So those boundaries are important to uphold. If I have a healthy social life, a healthy sleep schedule, then when I come back to work, and I can give the client my best energy. So mm. it's not helping anybody. It's not helping me be a better case manager if I go home at night and ruminate over the most difficult mm. stories, it doesn't help me grow. I, so. I um, When I was getting into the field, I had a trainer. I was taking crisis calls up in Nova Scotia of all places. And um, I had a trainer who told me, you know, we are going to carry some heavy loads for people for a short period of time. And when we return home, it's our responsibility to make sure that we give that load back to them because it's not our our load to carry you know and so we, we that that always hit home for me it sounds like it it something that you also had learned to do um through having good outlets and yes you, you know what are some of the things you like to do to stay uh to stay feeling renewed and refreshed so that you can give from a place of abundance instead of you know feeling drained constantly yeah i think that's such a good question when i first started as a case manager my coworker, um, the case manager in our Gilbert location, she told me that to be good, good case managers, we have to be able to take our own advice. Mm -hmm. 
So if we would tell a client to be social, have hobbies, do movement, um, have good balance in your life, we also need to do those things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, so I have an interesting question along those lines is, you know, so my trade is as a therapist, I will have a lot of the similar conversations and you talk to someone and they share about their hobbies. Have you ever been inspired by a client that you're working with to try something that has been an interest of them that you never really thought of before? Or how have some of the clients that you've worked with um, impacted you in in that way, getting out and trying new things and practicing mm. what you preach? Mm. That's such a great question. Um, I do like to talk to my clients about their hobbies because it's a great way to build rapport. It's a great way to have a fun conversation that they actually want to have. It's not always as fun to talk about a lack of food resource or, mm -hmm. you know, maybe a financial debt that's causing pressure. And so I do, as a case manager, I do try to have our conversations end in a positive note because I want clients to feel lighter when they leave the office, right? Yeah. So we do tend to talk about hobbies, you know, because mm -hmm. it's more interesting. I have a lot of clients that do art. Mm -hmm. um, I just spoke to someone who is really into music and they learned how to play like four different instruments. And so we talked about music and what kind of music they like and the local music scene. I was a college radio DJ for three years when I was in college. So we uh, yeah. we love local music. So we talked about that. I got to tell you, when I heard that you were a radio DJ before we got on the podcast, I was like, oh, no, I'm going to be totally outshone here. She knows everything about this business. <laughs> so oh, it actually it felt great that, that you had that experience. So yeah, but, it was okay, really so fun. I did a lot of art. Yeah, I, I learned a lot about local music, um, art. The other thing that comes up a lot now, um, because it's very cool, is that I do play Dungeons and Dragons. Excellent. Um, <laughs> it's very cool now. I spoke with a client about it recently. A lot of people are like, you do D&D? &D? I'm like, yes, I do Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so that comes up a lot. And yeah. it's such a great way for clients to be social because it, it appeals to those clients who are more gamers, video gamers, mm -hmm. um, you know, like a, a nerdy passion for sci-fi, which is what mm -hmm. I have. Um, and so we end up talking about D&D. &D, and if you talk to anyone who's into D&D, &D, we could talk for hours. So that usually let, lights people up. And then I also say, hey, are you, are you doing a local campaign right now? And maybe encourage people to get into it. A lot of local game stores, coffee shops are having D&D &D nights. Um, even one in 10, the LGBTQ youth program is having D&D &D nights. So awesome. this is a really cool thing that's happening. It's a great way to connect to, connect to other people. You know what so I that think comes is, up a lot. <laughs> you know what I think is so cool about that is the idea that you're not trying in those moments to solve problems. You're trying to align yourself with the client that you're that you're meeting with and just by the nature of having a genuine conversation and 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 I, maybe you're like this I feel like I'm like this to some degree I, I I can almost get interested in anything and um if you have an open mind like that then it, it really doesn't matter if it's um construction science or D&D &D. like you can find something about it that you know you want to learn about and and most people when they're experiencing something that they're passionate about, it does kind of light them up. And so, you know, the, the social aspect of gaming and meeting at coffee shops and, and having that, that um, uh, enjoyed 
shared experience is is a really really cool thing so you know along those same lines so that's maybe when you're forging some of these relationships and and i would imagine it continues throughout as as um as you meet with these clients how 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 frequently would you say you spend working with uh with a person uh in the community um and and what is the span of your relationship kind of typically look like in in that regard yeah, yeah. I like to have an initial meeting with clients to talk about their goals, what they want to work on, and then talk about what they're going to do. And then we usually talk once a week until they get the stability that they need. So sometimes it's pretty short if it's a shorter solution. And then maybe they'll just reach out to me a couple of months later and say, hey, could I could use assistance with this. Um, sometimes it's a few weeks while maybe they're waiting for an application or they're waiting for something to come through. That's, a, for the that's most a lot part, of engagement. Once a week is pretty good. Yes, yeah. I, re- I like to keep it. We all have issues with procrastination. We all do it. I, I, I really think that procrastination is the key of a lot of the things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so keeping it top of mind once a week, whether it's, you know, phone call, text, email, whatever it is, until you get that stability. Because oftentimes, I'm not really solving a problem, I'm connecting the client, and they're doing that work. And I'm just here to help support and motivate and reinforce how much strength and resiliency they already have. Right. They've already got it. Yeah, I imagine you know, it provides a little bit of accountability to do absolutely. the things that they already know they're capable of, or, or maybe have just lost sight of due to whatever stressors are going on. Absolutely. Have, have you ever been in a situation where you you felt like either afraid or or where you were feeling, you know, really overwhelmed by some emotion like sadness and and how did you how did you manage that because, you know, not every situation that we get into and where uh, in behavioral health is comfortable sometimes, you know, and until you've experienced it before, it's the first time and you're, you're trying to navigate some intense emotions that you're experiencing yourself. So have you ever had uh, something like that go on where you had to kind of think on your fear or, or um, manage, you know, your reactions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my approach to those reactions is to be authentic and genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, our clients can tell when we're fake. And I, I don't like to be that way because it ruins our communication. So if we have a topic come up that is causing me a genuine reaction, it's more important for me to preserve communication and to say, usually I can ask a question, like, what does it feel like to say that out loud? Or what Mm. do you feel like having shared that? What do you feel like that means for your future? And maybe, yeah, and then maybe at the end of the, maybe at the end of our time, I'll say, okay, let's, let's kind of take a breath. Let's let that stuff out. Let's leave it in this room. And then Mm -hmm. when we leave the door, so to make sure that you're safe to continue your day. So usually talking through it with the client in the moment is Mm -hmm. absolutely how I would process that. Um, Because I'm not a robot, you know, it's like I've, I have authentic emotions that come up with Mm. our clients, but I am here to help, to help make goals and to help make progress. And so having that in my mind is what allows me to process through the emotion and not let it overtake me. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that ability to be authentic and and share your genuine reaction is probably a real strength. Something that's that's certainly not easy. I, I know I've been in situations before where I've had to say, "Hey, you know, when you said that, I felt uncomfortable," and mm-hmm. um, and just being okay with that, um, yeah. and, and knowing that the way that you feel about the person that you're working with is going to shine through on some way. So, so trying to show as much love and respect as you can while communicating is important, but it sounds like you've done a really good job at that. Uh, talk, talk to me a little bit about the family shelter up in, in, in Phoenix, because I'm not yeah. as familiar with them, but it sounds like you've had some wonderful experiences since 2019. So what has that been like? And, and are you working on any uh, exciting projects right now for, you know, uh, volunteering in, in the community? Yeah. Um, so our family shelter system here, uh, when families are experiencing homelessness, they need to call the family housing hub and then get on a wait list and then All of the family shelters, there's five of them in this Maricopa County, will call the family. And I was responsible for calling the families, getting them set up with an intake, setting up their unit, making sure that they have, you know, resources like uh, food. The family shelters that I worked at were set up just like apartments. Mm -hmm. So you have a full kitchen. Um, there is a shelter you mom where they cook for you. You don't cook yourself in those in that shelter, but at Vista Kalina La Masita shelter, you um, are basically in an apartment. You're cooking your own food and your support staff there will provide you with, you know, pots and pans and a food box and clothes and bedding. And so I was responsible for setting up that whole experience and, mm-hmm. I was called a support partner, just connecting and providing with support for the family while they were there. And then their case manager will connect them with rapid rehousing, employment, everything that they need to exit the shelter within three to four months and start fresh in an apartment. Um, It's not, it's not easy. It's hard, but it's possible And it's so wonderful that I got to be in family shelter for two years and I got to see two Halloweens and I got to give kids costumes. I got to hand out turkeys. The community here is incredibly generous. Uh, We got donations every year. So seeing little kids get dressed up. uh, One time we got maybe 20 Power Rangers suits. And so all the little kids were Power Rangers. Uh, (laughs) What were you? That's the real question. What did you go at? Were you a Power Ranger? And what color, even more importantly? I think I did that terrible thing where I didn't dress up. No. Oh, man. Yeah, I know. It wasn't any fun, but I it was really good to see all the kids there. So yeah, two years of doing that definitely built resiliency and built my foundation that I do that I work from now as a case manager. And so, yeah, if we do have families that come through here or just clients experiencing homelessness, it feels really important to help connect them with resources. Yeah, absolutely. And and I imagine, you know, one of their top priorities would be keeping the family together. Um, Is is that something that is like difficult to do at all? Or is it usually, you know, are there any challenging situations where, you know, people might feel like afraid to seek out like a shelter services and, and, you know, what are some of the things that you've seen that would either keep someone from getting help or, or has prevented someone from seeking help for a while because they had, you know, some fear that that wasn't really warranted. 
Yeah, I think that a lot of people might not know what it actually looks like when you enter into family shelter. And so having the lived experience to talk through that process has benefited me greatly when I've had clients that were scared to call because it's, again, the unknown. And so having the experience to talk through the process really helps. And yeah, part of being a supportive case manager, there's all kinds of things that our clients are scared to do or feel like they need to take a few more steps before they can do it. And so getting them set up to make that choice for themselves is really important, you know, because then they feel like I made this choice. I'm going to see it through. This is my future. And that's just what we want to reinforce. And for families staying together, you know, families can stay together in shelter. Issues come up, you know, with like larger families, smaller families. That's what all of the shelters are navigating. The space that they have and what shelter they can go to, what room they have. But when I worked there, we worked really hard to make it work, you know. And, and communicate and make it work. So yeah, imagine yeah, you're solving a families. lot of mm-hmm. a lot of system, like you know, family system issues, or or even maybe just larger, greater system issues. And and but it it, it seems like the the focus is on empowering the family to make good decisions for themselves. Yeah, which is which is which is awesome. Really, Absolutely, really cool. everything that we want to do as people, it comes from us. It's our choice. Right. Right. Yeah. People want to feel. They want to feel heard and 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 they definitely want to feel as though they are empowered to make the right decision. Um, Absolutely. So my experience. So um, over at uh, over at the Tempe Outpatient Clinic, is there anything exciting, any ch- exciting changes going on, things that that um, that you do over there every day that you are um, that you're working to to help make a success? I know that we talked a little bit before the um, the podcast started and you said that you, CPR has just been one of the, the highlights of your, of your professional career. I, I actually feel very much the same way and I have no problem sharing that with people. I, I do frequently, but, um, yeah, is there any, any special projects, projects that you have going on or things that you'd like to shine light on either at CPR or even we can expand it to the community as well? Yeah, I'm really excited. I just completed the, um, Eric Gilbertson advocacy Institute for behavioral health program. Um, It was like a six-week advocacy program where we talked about local behavioral health organizations and how to be a better advocate in our community. And um, that's something that's really important to me. So I just completed that, um, which is really exciting. Um, I look forward to being an advocate in the community of Tempe. I'm going to an event at the Tempe Library this weekend. Um, So I just continue to do that. It's part of my passion um, for what I do. And um, something I'm excited about at the Tempe location is that we do have groups here. It's a really great way for clients to connect and see that they're not alone. We do tend to try and have a little fun and maybe throw a dad joke in there. I got, I got so, a lot of those. No one really laughs yeah. at mine, but I, gotta, I, tr- I keep trying. <laughs> I, I try to add a little humor into the groups because, you know, we usually have it's a, some really tough, heavy conversations. And then towards the end of the group, focus on motivating and and what we can, what we're excited about for the future. And so we do have groups here at Tempe and uh, we're going to be making some awesome, you know, updates and things for the new year um, that I'm really excited about. And then I also volunteer on my own time at one in 10 um, in their uh, workforce program for young adults that are, that are seeking jobs and looking for help uh, with jobs. So I do that as well. I've got my D and D 
and I just started getting into roller derby, Arizona roller derby. Look at this. This Very cool stuff. Yeah. Um, So fun. If there's anything, you know, exciting happening in the city of Tempe, I put it up on my cork board in the office here. I have an events calendar and I just talk about cool local things that are happening in all different areas of the community. Um, Really, really, and that's what I like to do. (laughs) Oh, I love it! I love it. I think it's uh, it's inspiring how uh, how active you are and how passionate, and that you have been able to find a balance. And and it 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 almost seems like you started doing this, and then it it became part of your career, and now it's really um, taken off into you know part of you. It it just kind of it, it shines from you. You can tell so. Um, we'll, we'll kind of end on this one last question. You had mentioned that you had just taken this course on advocacy and such is, is there anything that you had learned either from that course or even from the experiences that you've shared here that you would want the listeners out there to, to know, um, or, or that you think might be helpful for them? Yeah. Um, advocating and, uh, working on a cause that you care about your strengths and what inspires you is a great direction to go if you want to advocate or volunteer. Um, you can look on, you know, justserve.org and find volunteer opportunities. Um, you can check out something like St. Vincent de Paul and go and sign up for a shift to serve meals. You can pack food boxes. Um, but picking up one of those volunteer shifts in the next month is a wonderful thing to do. Um, yeah. And whatever area you care about, if you Google that and you Google volunteering, you you might find it. Might and find if it. not, I'm always happy to help. But oh, that's, awesome. that's that's how I found volunteering. And I see it. That's how I see the benefit of it. Picking up a, a volunteer shift. It doesn't have to be forever. Even just one shift over the next month. You could do it with your whole family. Hmm. You know, Um it's a, it's a wonderful way to, to be a part of the community. So well said, well, yeah, very well yeah. said. And, uh, you know, I, I think on that note, we've, uh, we found a good, a good place to kind of wrap things up. Neve, I really want to thank you for stepping into the spotlight. I hope it wasn't too hot. <laughs> we think you did a pretty good job. We got through together. Your, your, uh, radio skills certainly did shine. And, uh, to our listeners out there in listener world, thank you for tuning in and we'll, we'll see you next time. Got questions or ideas for the podcast, or perhaps you have your own story to share? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at crisisprepandrecovery.com or call 602-281-7795. You can also find us online at cprpodcast.podbean.com or wherever you prefer to find your podcast. CPR Unplugged was produced by Crisis Preparation and Recovery, Inc., The intro and outro music was created by Rob Wilson. The CPR podcast team includes Tamara Lamontine, Ben Edwards, Laura Kaufman, Rob Wilson, and Michael Magarinos. Special thanks to Jason Spisak for technical support.